0: Welcome to Functional Design and Clojure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. Each week, we discuss a software design problem and how we might solve it using functional principles and the closure programming language. So Christoph, what are we talking about this week?
1: Well, this week, I thought we could celebrate our 20th episode by doing something a little different. Oh, all right. Sounds fun. Yeah, so over the last number of weeks, we've been tackling different problems. And, and just looking at a way to solve them using closure or functional principles, as per our tagline. <laughs> right. And inevitably, you know, some bigger, some bigger picture ideas have emerged in our discussions. I thought it would be fun to come back and revisit some of those ideas all in one place. It's like, you know, the reduction of the good
0: stuff. Yeah, it's like a good. It's like it's like the sauce you have at the end of the recipe, uh, that you pour over the noodles and actually enjoy eating.
1: Yes, yes. We we filter we filter the points and reduce the good ones, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and increase the puns. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, that's, yeah. Sounds like sounds like a good. which 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 one should we start with?
1: Well, I was thinking I was thinking a lot about the big idea of helping closure core understand your data, right? Like one one of the big like one of the big I don't I don't I don't know if I want to call it learning hurdles, one of the big concepts at least for me and it came up a lot in our recent series about about the time tracker is you really like in order to be effective in closure functional programming you really want to use all of these built-ins, right? Like map, reduce, filter, um, things like that. And in order to use these built-ins, like you have to give Closure Core, like one way to think of it is like giving Closure Core the vocabulary of describing your data, so that so that you can now unleash the power of Closure Core, right? And so you do that by writing a function that allows you to. To produce a truth value, or extract a bit of information, or extract a little description of your data, um, so that Closure Core can now like see and understand your data, so to speak, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think like so. For instance, using the word f- using the function filter, you have to pass it a, a a predicate. You have to pass it a little bit of code that will that will Unpack your data so that Filter can understand it, and the language that Filter speaks is uh, true or false. You need to have that. That's, right. that's You need to interpret your data and, and put it into that. And I think the to kind of riff on what you said is like we need to make a, a vocabulary. Well, you can just put the entire body of your predicate right there in a, in a literal function and accomplish the same thing. Um, but the problem with that is that now 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 that all that logic is encoded right right in that filter and i call it a filter it's not pulled out so that you can use it on its own in a in a fiddle or or you can't use it for for some other for any of the other functions that take um take take a single predicate like that
1: right it's it's like me saying hey nate do you like baseball Or actually, rather than me saying, Hey, Nate, do you like baseball? It's like, Hey, Nate, do you like? And then I start waving my hands around, you know, and I'm like motioning, you know, swinging a bat through the air, right? (laughs) And I'm like pretending to pitch and I'm motioning. I'm like acting out, you know, baseball. And it's like, well, instead of, instead of like you having to infer my motions and go, Oh, I, I think I divine that you mean baseball there. Like, just give it a name already, you know? And then you can talk
0: about it, right? Yeah, and, and the nice thing about that is not only are you teaching closure, because closure doesn't really care. It just, it, it, it's all it sees as a function. The vocabulary is actually what helps the human understand the line um, and understand what's going on uh, even more than than. Than 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 closure needing to, to do that, you know, like baseball. The word baseball and the description of what baseball is are two equivalent things to answering that question. But when you say baseball, you can say it in so much more succinctly um, and easier for humans to understand.
1: Right, and so definitely, I would say one of the larger lessons I've learned is not to ignore the linguistic aspect of of these little functions that, that you put between your data and closure core, right? Cause yes, they serve a utilitarian purpose of mapping or pulling the parts out. So closure core functions can do their thing. You can map data, you can filter data, you can reduce, but they, they serve the human aspect of, of communicating what the intent and the meaning is, you know, if yeah. I say stick ball, that's going to have a different human interpretation than baseball you know and and maybe maybe i'm i'm grumpy and I'm, i want to call it stickball <laughs> and, and that will mean something
0: <laughs> right right
1: but closure won't care right like closure is just like well you know give me a truth value uh, so i can filter is baseball you know baseball question <laughs> mark stickball <laughs> closure doesn't
0: care right right yeah and i and i think i think the the, the, the idea of having predicates that you give that you, you can use to teach closure about your data um, pairs nicely with the other one of the other things that we really kind of pulled out across the last series that we did with the time tracker in that um, the early implementations were all using loop recur. Basically, we had to go through every single bit of data, uh, as in the input, the, the day that we got out of the file, um, we had to go through every single bit of that input in order to calculate the result we wanted. Right. The total number of minutes or the, the days we worked or the any of that stuff, we had to basically we, we went from the input to the calculation very close to each other. And and the leap from there was going, you no, know, let's let's separate those two the two of those things. Let's take the input and convert it into a format that is what we affectionately call the big bag of data. You know, it's 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 a homogeneous yeah. list of similarly formatted maps, usually maps. Um uh, that you can then uh apply these predicates to and 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 answer any most any question that you want by uh by, by either making new predicates or augmenting the data even more
1: yeah i would say like there's definitely places for loop recur especially you know if you're things that involve like io but but if you're doing like a data transform with loop recur, to me that in at least in closure, that's a little bit of a code smell. But the nice thing is, coming from an imperative language, that feels pretty natural, and so it helps lower the barrier. I think of getting going. You know, like I'm not trying to criticize using loop recur because sometimes that's the way you get there. You you can think of the loop recur solution first. You know, at least for me. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I definitely but, but
0: it, did that first when I was early on in Clojure.
1: Right. And then Loop Recur, it really is like you're acting out each of the steps, right? It goes back to this linguistic thing, right? Instead of describing something at a higher level, Loop kind of keeps you mired in those details of the operations. And, and it does so by like marrying all this stuff in one place it, that gets very difficult to separate out.
0: Yeah, it's very easy to because you've already mired a couple of things together to just keep glomming new things onto that ball, and then you end up with one ball of mud instead of instead of a, a bag of right. data that you can sift through. Um, you know what mud sticks really well to. Uh, what?
1: Mud. (laughs) Okay, yes. Other mud. (laughs) Other mud. Yes. Once you have a little bit of mud, it's the easiest thing to do is to just keep adding. (laughs) It sticks great. It's very cohesive, right? And
0: and what couldn't be better than cohesive programs? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, getting back to your point about when recur, loop recur would be a good time to go, to go through things is, uh, or cause loop recur and reduce are very closely related. Reduce is kind of a, a very, a tightened form of loop recur. And it, you know, there are times when you actually do need to go through every bit of the data. Like it's not like yeah. if you're talking like an, an event stream or, uh, a sequence of operations to, a t- uh, like a, a data format, like, you know, say you're doing transactions in a bank or something like that. Like you need to have, you don't want to just sift through and only take the, uh, the deposits. <laughs> Although I might like that, um, uh, as a, as a, <laughs> as a, as a customer, as a, as a, um, as a bank employee, I, I might not find, I might find myself find looking for a different job, uh, but you need to go through every single one. And so reduce and loop are good ways of going through, you have to go through all the data anyway. So you, you know, it's okay to use that construct. Right.
1: Loop, loop and recurs eager. So it's gonna, it's gonna take that step. It's going to take that step right now. And so it's really good when you have to deal with something coming in from the outside, processing stuff coming in in a core async oh, channel yes, yeah um, oh yeah processing, core really you know, good place. data io right because it's like you handle this thing you go on to the next thing anyway we haven't really covered that type of stuff totally yet in this podcast but so there's there's places for it but the places where we've been using it as a as kind of a counter example i think contribute to that code smell for sure
0: yeah definitely and so the 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 switching over to the big bag of data um mentality and and letting closure do the sifting for you um keeps you from from keeps the the, the mud and the uh, the water and the and the dirt separate in the mud so you don't have to it doesn't stick to each other
1: <laughs> yeah and and so that kind of brings up another duality um definitely something like like reduce and and loop and recur keep you thinking sort of in a stepwise way. And then if you're doing stuff like, okay, filter all this stuff out, map it to some new values and then do like a trivial reduce, like reduce plus, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: then that's, that's kind of like an aggregate kind of, kind of thinking, you know? And, and so we've talked about it a little bit, but there's definitely, there's definitely times for really being incremental and stepwise if, if we go way back to tic-tac-toe, right, we, we, we want to take the game state and we want to exam. we want to advance the game state. Right. And when we were talking about tic-tac-toe, we had a function, could take the game state and advance it. And that's basically a reducer, right? Mm-hmm. It takes the current game state, it takes the, the desired move, and then it returns a new state, which is a new state of the game with that desired move applied or ignored because it was bad, <laughs> Right. And so there, so like stream processing, you have all this stuff coming out of a stream, right? And you're gonna kind of handle it. And you're gonna be in the moment. That's a stepwise sort of thing. And so, so definitely, depending on your problem, sometimes it makes more sense to write these functions that sort of take whole lists of things and filter out all this stuff by some dimension in the data, and then group by some other dimension in the data. All these, e- all these eager operations that want to consume. The whole list and do stuff to it, and then you sort of reduce it out at the end. So that's that's kind of paradigm A and paradigm D. B is is you're getting little bits of data in from the message queue, and and you're processing one at a time or instructions that come in half haphazardly from the user, and you're handling them one at a time. That duality of like stepwise versus aggregations is kind of another reoccurring theme.
0: Yeah, definitely, and and I think that's a good way of of tying tying stepwise to I O to the uh, the the situation that the program is in. That's it often forces you to slow it down. The aggregations are very fast. Like we need to reduce plus, like in the blink of an eye, closures done all your work for you. You know, you didn't have to. You have it was it, you didn't have to. to well, step through of course.
1: Right. Yeah, and so it it gets it kind of allows you to model the way you talk about the solution to agree with the way the data flows in. If it flows in sort of a piece at a time versus if you have the big bag of data and, and it's like, okay, got the bag, let's sift.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 good. Yeah, so speaking of big bag of data, um, one of the things we did was we took our big bag of data, which was all of our time entries, and and we we kind of worked our way towards higher levels of aggregation. We took, you know, groups of those by teaching, teaching um, closure, how to distinguish them you know, with the extractors into, you know, so like each of the entries we wanted to extract, Hey, what, what day of the week is this? Um, and then we could use group by to make, to, to make a, a map of all of the entries grouped by Uh, obviously (laughs) by day um and then you can do the same thing where you take those day entries sorry those day uh objects and you make weeks out of them and so each level of 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 data gets you a different it it allows you to answer different questions um like like we wanted to know it do work on like uh Oh we, it was at week we were trying to trying to print out. you know we need to be is group into weeks so we can print out each week on on a line and And so we needed to know that level of data. We couldn't have done that level of data with the with the entries, or at least it wouldn't have been straightforward to do that.
1: Yeah, and there there's a certain duality again with that, right? because in the in the time episode, we had this idea of okay, you take these entries and then you group them into days, and then a day could have a list of entries nested inside of it and then you take days and you group into weeks and a week could have a list of days inside of it and then you end up with this nesting and so in some ways that's nice because if you want a bag of weeks you take that bag of weeks and and you do things at the week level or you want a bag of days right like that that's okay but other times that nesting can be really annoying and so there's there's sort of a dual way a dual thought is take your most granular thing and annotate it with all of the dimensions so we could go back and take those entries by day and then we could annotate the date you know and then we could annotate and give the week id which we decided to call the date of the first day of the week <laughs> you know and 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 so you grow those entries so you end up with a multiplication of of data so to speak like like every piece of data now takes more space in memory but now every piece of data has all the dimensions so now you have a bag of data where you can you can fetch out all of these parts based on any dimension you want you know so you could be like get me all of the day I want a total you know for all of the odd weeks on even days And, and stuff like that would be a lot more of a pain because you're operating at two different levels at once but if you flatten it into a big bag. And so it comes back to how you want, how you want to ask questions. Once again, it's, it's almost a linguistic thing, you know, do, do I, do I want to take a a list of these things and just charge through them and do something? Or do I want to ask these like really random questions on any dimension I want?
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of, I've seen, and I think most people who are in closure have seen uh, that um, there's this this bend towards using namespace keys in maps um, instead of, so instead of having a, a nested data structure, you, you you namespace your keys. So you're kind of describing what, you know, this, this, you can have three IDs at the same level, but one is a week ID, one is a day ID, and one is an entry ID. Uh, and the, so that by keeping them all at the same level, it's, it's trivial to make um, filter or to make predicates and to make extractors. Because the data is very like it's very flat. You don't have to know that the deeply nested like like you were talking about weeks being bags of days, which are then bags of ent- of, of entries. Well, if I want to sum up all the enter, I want to do something interesting about the entries for one week. I need I need, to know, I need to dive into that data structure. But if 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 it's flattened, you know, if I'm only talking about entries, then the then it's just two predicates in a row, you know, all yeah. do the week predicate first and then do the, the day predicate or the, sorry, the entry predicate next, whatever. And then, so it, it basically, instead of, instead of nesting your, your, um, your exploration as it's diving into the data, it said it's, it keeps it really flat and keeps it really easy to understand.
1: Yeah, if it's flat, it allows you to ask questions that span multiple levels of granularity at the same time, you know. And and then then it, if you're asking a question that's just about weeks or just about days, then it kind of makes sense to do where you just have a list of weeks or a list of days. But then if you have to ask questions that need to traverse, you know, I want I want a list of all the even days that where I've worked past midnight, you know. <laughs> And now you're spanning, like, you're at the entry level and you're at the day level.
0: Yeah. Or how many hours did I work each day between eight and five, you know? Right. I need the day to know that, to group it, but then I need the, the time, the entry, you know? Yeah.
1: So, it's it's equally valid to basically enrich your, your most granular bit with these higher level dimensions, so that you can ask arbitrary things. So it really comes back to your pattern of use. Is your pattern of use ask arbitrary questions from the bag of data, or is your pattern of use like you want like a well characterized list of things to pass around um, to a bunch of a bunch of code that that uses those things at that level?
0: Yeah, it depends on your use case. And sometimes your use case is you're shipping that data off to somebody else, and so you don't want to the extra data there to be a hindrance or, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely other outside considerations, which might, might force you to one or two of those, one of those two strategies.
1: Yeah. And then I would say maybe one of the really overall lessons that has come up over and over is this idea of let's, let's keep it pure, right? Let, like as much as possible, let's write functions that take data in and produce data out, and they don't have any side effects. I mean, really, this is like the foundation of functional programming, right? Is pure functions. Yeah. Um, and and so so if we have a pure, it, it's very REPL friendly, right? Now you can use your editor integration, and then you can you can you can have a little literal there in your your code. We talked about what we like to call our fiddle files. <laughs> And, and then you feed it in, you get data in, get data out. It's very unit test friendly. Um, the idea is to just avoid side effects as much as possible. It's kind of a given, I guess, in all this because it, it leads to the ability to use this data without all these uh, hidden attachments that you, you you remember when you write them, but you don't remember them three months later.
0: Yeah, definitely. One uh, what, what, what way I like to look at it is... is is. You know, IO should be performed by functions that you didn't write. Um, so, for instance, if I want to print out the summary of something, well, I can write a function that changes my data into the lines. And then I just, you know, I run, I run with an exclamation point println on all those lines. Well, I didn't write println, so I can pretty, be pretty sure that that worked fine, you know. Uh, or if I'm saving right. something to a database, like in Mongo... It's like I want to get it to the point where all I, the, my function all my function is doing is calling mongo's or mongers save function. It's written by somebody else and and so I know that it's probably going to be fine.
1: Right, you're throwing a map over the wall to the, the postgres connector and it's it's going to put all the data in the right field.
0: Yeah. You know that you that trust, kind of thing. Trust it because somebody else wrote it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then the idea is like like if you have a more complex operation that involves IO, you can describe that operation in data. So then you can make a really boring, in a good way, right, simple function that, that just reads the instructions and follows them very blindly, like very simply. And, and then you can unit test the outcome. Like you're gonna have this big complicated operation that's gonna result in five side effects, great. Have it produce a list describing what all five of those side effects are, so you can unit test your big, complicated operation, and then testing testing your thing that just chews through each of those and does a really boringly simple bit of I/O. That that thing it's it's really easy to comprehend and understand, and you you keep all your complexity in the easily managed space of pure data.
0: Yeah, that's that. Yeah, the, the the place you keep you keep, basically it's 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 even testing the ability to instruct the 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 minion that goes and f- and does the whatever the operations are. Um, you're able to test even that, and then when it gets to that point, all that minion does is just hand it off to you know the AWS library or the Postgres library or whatever. And and right. you know, I mean, you obviously want to have some error handling in there, but that is also something that's relatively straightforward to write and it'll work or not and if it doesn't work it's an exception you know it's like it's not something you need to continuously test
1: well and you end up with a really interesting situation too if you try to do all the side effects well you're you, you know you're in the middle of it you're in the throes of of you know constructing the solution well then what if you do get an aws timeout right or what if what if you get some exception you're like ah I I ah uh, I'm I'm in the middle I, I can't handle this right, but if you can construct these instructions to the minion, and the minion is like, okay, first I need to write this into the file. Okay, call the function that just writes something to a file. Okay, next I need to throw this over the wall to AWS. Okay, do oh didn't work. Okay, well let me retry, let me retry. Like the min like the minion can have an implementation strategy that allows for the appropriate amount of flexibility for that IO vector, you know, which which for AWS might be retry because it didn't work the first time or something, you know, yeah. or maybe it just says, oh, give up. Okay, let me, let me walk backwards and undo and then log it all out, right? So it totally decouples the problems that you get from IO from w- the problem you're actually trying to solve in the first place.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. It
1: sounds yeah. like uh something uh would be fun to do an episode about is uh trying to write stuff down in some remote API somewhere that doesn't want to cooperate with us.
0: <laughs> yeah, and how we can even make the minion a little more pure. Like I think that yeah. there's even there's even ways you can push the IO farther to the edges. So you just want a real thin layer a veneer, if you will, of IO on your application. Right. Well, Sadly, I think we're running out of time. <laughs> uh, there are more, there are more, more principles, but maybe we'll have to save them for another, another episode like this. Yeah. That's and if time. you,
1: if you have a, you, oh, listener, <laughs> not you, Nate, but if all y'all out there are listening to this, if you have something that you have found really interesting or something that you have enjoyed, you know, let us know, uh, hit us up on Twitter and tell us about it or send us an email.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of Twitter, let's talk about our message our message queue for the week. So, uh, Sammy messaged us on Twitter to say he was enjoying the podcast, and then he and Christoph and I and a few other people got involved in a whole thread about using closure for data analysis. Um, it's interesting uh, to our. Uh, Sammy mentioned R, and I've used R a little bit. And actually, Python is another uh, good tool for for data analysis uh, with the, the 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 Python notebook. We actually talked about notebooks back when uh, we yeah. talked about our fiddles. That was a good uh, a good yep. a good mirror there. Uh, but anyway,
1: Jupiter, <laughs> yeah. Jupiter, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but Closure, I think, has a really good mentality about around the data, um, just like just like R does. And so I think Closure has a a a good mentality for becoming an excellent data analysis tool. And um, one thing I've noticed is that there's been a lot of crossover between um, closure and other programming languages, um, you know, functional ideas getting, you know, seeping into the world around it or, or sweetening the deal uh, of other languages like yeah. JavaScript. And, um, and so this is an instance of where good ideas from R, are seeping into Clojure and making Clojure even sweeter. So there's, there's a, a Vega and Vega light or a couple of, pure data ways of describing visualizations. And they're, they're inspired by the same thing that, um, R is, or the, the one of the better R libraries for grammar graphics. Um, and then there's also, uh, something in, in Clojure, uh, called Oz. It was written by a guy named Christopher Small. And, uh, so I, I, as, as we get into more data visualization stuff, I, I hope to use those in the future. Um, and, uh, if anyone out there has good experience with them, uh, please let us know our projects that you've got. Um, if you want, if you do want to reach us, uh, our email is feedback at closuredesign.club. And we're also on Twitter at closuredesign.
1: That's right. And you can find our show notes at closuredesign.club. Uh, you can find the notes for this episode and all the prior ones. And give them a read. Check them out. Let us know what you think, too.
0: Yeah. Please do. All right. We'll be back next week. Until then... Remember that the only side effect of pure data should be developer bliss.